Hey, welcome to the show. This is What Makes Me Well, and I'm your host, Asada Jones. This is part two of the financial health series that I have been doing with debt-free money coach and millennial money guide, Ayana Campbell-Smith. Listeners, if you haven't listened to part one yet, I highly recommend going back in your podcast feed and pressing play on that episode. You get an intro to who Ayana is and what really drives her to help others reach their financial goals. We also talked about Ayana's support systems, and it's just a really good episode all around, so I highly recommend going back if you haven't listened to part one yet. If you have listened to part one... I want to know what you thought. Let me know on Instagram. Let me know on Twitter. You can find the podcast at what makes me well, all one word, or you can reach out to me at a.joneswellness on Instagram and Twitter. If you're feeling a little shy and you don't want to reach out directly, that's okay too. Leave a review on Apple Podcast, or you can lend your support by subscribing or following or hearting the podcast on whatever podcast feed that you're listening to the show on. All right, listeners, get ready to dig into this episode that's all about financial health and building a healthy relationship with your money, featuring Millennial Money Guide, Ayana Campbell-Smith. All right, welcome back, Wellness Warriors. I am here once again with personal finance educator and money coach, Ayana from Millennial Money Guide. So Ayana is back to chat with me about improving financial literacy and how financial health can affect the different aspects of your life. We're also going to be talking about financial traumas and examining our relationships with money. I'm so excited for this episode. Welcome back, Ayana. Thank you so much for being here. Yay. So happy to be back. Can't wait to get into this conversation. I think it's going to be really good. I know this is the, I feel like we've been like leading up to this episode and this is the like finally public episode that we're releasing to other people to listen to. I'm really, really excited that we're doing this. Um, Okay. So let's talk about the super taboo subject, money. And also thank you for being one of the first people to like openly be cool with like talking about money and all that stuff. Like I really appreciate it. It it makes my heart happy. Um, All right. So I wanted to first start off with talking about what financial literacy is and how we typically learn financial literacy. Mm -hmm. So I have like my textbook definitions, but um, I want you, Ayana, to start off um, as a financial educator, how do you define um, financial literacy to your clients? Yeah, I think financial literacy for me is just the all-encompassing sort of idea of knowing what you're doing when it comes to how you manage your money and how you understand your money. Um, and it's definitely one of those topics where obviously like, you know, I don't know how where your listeners are all based, but if you have any international listeners or anything like that in the USA, we don't really learn about money in school. And so as far as financial literacy, it actually is one of those things where we kind of either learn on our own through our own sort of initiatives, or we just kind of follow along with the things that we see demonstrated to us in our upbringings or with our parents, or if we get into a relationship, we might do what we see our partner doing or what our friends do. So it is kind of one of those things where a lot of different inputs sort of influence how financially literate we are and sort of how we um, relate to and manage our money. Yeah, good definition. And I completely agree with that. It's just, I think it's such a shame that we aren't taught 
financial literacy. We just kind of have to figure it out from our surroundings and depending on how literate those sources are exactly. that informs our financial literacy. Um, okay, so I want to um, clarify a few things for the listeners because we are going to be we're going to be talking about financial health and we're going to be talking about financial literacy. And I really wanted to clarify that for the listeners. So financial literacy to piggyback onto Ayana's definition. Um, it is the ability to understand and effectively use various financial skills like finance management, your personal budgeting, investing, the ability to understand and effectively use those skills. So how well you understand how money works and also how effectively you use those skills, okay? So now your financial health is defined as your thoughts, feelings, your attitudes and beliefs that drive your relationship with your money. So, yeah, so I am, I really want to stress this definition because I'm really coming to terms with that because for myself, I feel like my financial literacy is high. I feel like I have a pretty good idea of what's happening with money, how mm-hmm. it works, how to invest, how to save, the actual steps on how to save. Um, but what I struggle with is my relationship yeah. with my financial, uh, excuse me, my relationship with my money and therefore my financial health. So you can know all about mm-hmm. it, but how you actively feel about it and how you actively um, use your money could be two totally different things. So I really wanted to stress that with the listeners. Do you agree with that, Ayanna? Yeah. About no, totally. I, I actually love that you were able to share both of those definitions because that's actually a, an important distinction that I haven't even really taken the time to investigate or like, you know, just know those two things are so different. But it really does mm-hmm. make sense that you can have all the budgeting tools in the world. You can have the most perfect spreadsheet. You can have all the books and everything. But just because you have that literacy yeah. doesn't mean that you have a healthy relationship when it comes to your finances. And that's actually sort of diving into some of the work that I do as a money coach. That's one of the reasons why I focus first on money mindset work and really investigating that and having my clients sort of self-assess and self-examine their current relationship with money. And I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not like you know, diving deep into stuff like that in that regard, but really just offering my clients a safe space to sort of think about how they currently relate to money and what they envision for their future as far as it relates to their relationship with money, I think is such an important starting point. And what I've really found is that over time, even just by introducing that little like little tidbit of money mindset work from the very beginning, it sort of grows over time. And my clients become so much more aware of not only how they are managing their money, but the relationship to their money. And it really does have such a profound effect and really, I think, amplifies the work that we do together in in improving their financial literacy by also focusing on their financial health. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And I love that now um, the idea of holistic care and holistic wellness is kind of transferring, uh, not transferring, that's not the word that I'm looking for, 
bleeding into, that's not mm-hmm. great either, but you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, it's seeping into yeah. um, the finance world. And there, I feel like the conversation of financial health is something that, oh, I, it might be a whisper, but it's there. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's totally there. And um, taking that holistic approach to money is like, I applaud you for that. That's awesome. Okay, so I want to kind of go with that money mindset and talk about financial trauma. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what, seven minutes in and I'm already talking about uh, <laughs> trauma. <laughs> I think that's the record for me. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what? You can't have health without discussing your trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about what financial trauma is defined as. And I want to talk about why it's so difficult to identify financial traumas and how they affect our ability to make money. So I have some signs that some people may have, but um, of course, I want you to go first, Leona. Yeah. So... I don't have an exact definition of financial trauma. I don't want to go too deep into that just because I don't really know how to define it because like I said, I'm not a psychologist or anything like that. But I think financial trauma is one of those things where it's so, it's not like a concrete thing because I think when we hear the word trauma, we think like we are some sort of victim of abuse or some like super negative, um, you know, circumstance. But when it comes to financial trauma, I think it really is just sort of the culmination of all the experiences and things that we've had, again, going back to like what we witnessed with our parents and growing up and maybe maybe we grew up poor. And so that has an effect on the way that we relate to money or maybe we grew up um, witnessing, you know, potentially negative things with our family members that related to money. And so I think that when we talk about financial trauma, I think it's just sort of referring to the impact that your life's experiences have had on you that have potentially maybe had a negative effect on the way that you now think about and relate to your money. Um, And so I don't know if you want to read your definition, but I I definitely can think of some examples. And of course, I'll protect protect my my clients, um, you know, their their identities, and I won't get into any super (laughs) details, but I've definitely realized like, um, just over even over the last month or two, just some interesting sort of insights that I've been able to gain and sort of discover with my clients at the same time that they're discovering it about how their money traumas that they were just completely unaware of have impacted the way that they relate to their money. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, I definitely want to talk here about that, mm-hmm. but I want to give the definition or um, what financial analysts have defined as financial trauma. So yeah, financial trauma, just Um, as you were saying, is the intense stress, paranoia, expectations, fears, and concepts about money and finances in a way that almost nothing else can compare. So the reason why it's such a weird definition is because we typically reserve the word trauma, like you're saying, for like something momentous, like a specific event. But what happens with financial trauma is that these events can happen in increments throughout our entire lives that ultimately culminate to the trauma, the trigger. Mm-hmm. And because money adequates to security, safety, status, and power, and also worthiness, right? Yeah. There are so many ideas and like unconscious, like, relationships that we have with money. 
And as we get older, our traumas get older, our life experiences Mm -hmm. can inform, uh, not inform, but reawaken some like dormant traumas that you didn't even know you had, which therefore makes it Mm -hmm. or which therefore adds on to the reason why it's so hard to define. Okay, so let me read the rest of this. Oh, no, I read the entire thing. Okay, great. Perfect. I'm awesome. I'm so good. I didn't even realize how good I was at paraphrasing. Okay, so um, so that, I will put the link to that. I'm, that is, I paraphrased all of that from a article about financial trauma from Forbes magazine. So listeners, I will paste that link into Mm. the show notes. It's a really awesome article and about how millennials specifically speaks to the reasons why millennials are experiencing a significant amount of financial trauma that financial analysts and psychologists, uh, sociologists haven't seen before. So it's a very Mm. interesting article. Sounds like it. Um, Okay, so... Let's go into signs of financial trauma. Do you want me to rattle off my signs and then um, you can talk about some of um, some of the things that you've seen in your career? Yeah, works for me. Let's do that. Oh, okay, cool. All right. So some signs of financial traumas can be negative thoughts and patterns regarding money. And Often they can they can ruminate on failure. They can settle in on failure and focus in on failure. So basic thought patterns about money, for some reason, are always negative in your mind and always result in you messing up somehow. Another one, the ability to concentrate is short-circuited and focus is often interrupted by nagging thoughts of financial doom. Mm-hmm. Could be a, uh, oh man, I need to go to the grocery store to pick up A, B, and C, D. Oh, that's going to be so much money. And that's going to mean blah, 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 blah. And here is Mm -hmm. the same spiral. So spiraling, yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's a sign. Um, Present, guilty, done it before. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so another sign. You might see your general environment as an increasingly hostile place. And you might believe that there is only a matter of time before something bad is going to happen. And because mm-hmm. something bad is going to happen, it's going to cost you money to fix and therefore it's going to affect your life. Mm-hmm. Another sign is you tend to find yourself stuck in overdrive, unresolved nervous energy, like jitteriness, maybe insomnia, who has, who's been literally kept up by money issues. Hey, Hi, this girl right here. Um, <laughs> nightmares about money. Um, and yeah. and uh, we're not talking, you know, you have like a, a bill and you have like a stressful situation. We're talking about chronic nightmares, chronic insomnia. If you can't sleep for weeks, if, if this is a, a constant, you know, t- film that is playing in your head, um, that's a sign of financial trauma. And um, we're speaking specifically mm-hmm. about you know, money issues keeping you up, nightmares keeping you up, you're worried about your money, that type of thing. Here's a big one. Coping mechanisms such Mm -hmm. as avoidance or substance abuse increases. Oh my God, I cannot believe we just paid X amount of money on all of these bills. I'm going to crack open a bottle of wine. Oh, um, I don't know how we're going to pay for blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to, oh, nine o'clock, that type of thing. Um, 
or whatever substance abuse you need. Um, avoidance, <laughs> I really want to stress avoidance um, because I like to speak for myself. <laughs> I like to project and have a thought mm-hmm. for myself. Um, yeah, ignoring it doesn't yeah. mean it's going to go away. That's a big one. <laughs> also, confronting your problems doesn't have to be a life or death situation, right? We don't have to wait until it becomes a life or death situation to then confront our problems. So that's yeah. a big one. Mm-hmm. And to piggyback on avoidance, mm-hmm. the fear comes in and this is fear regarding checking your mail, answering phone calls, checking your emails. For those of you with like 4,000 emails in your inbox, God bless. Okay. So (laughs) that's the thing, Um, you know, and doing so because you fear that it might be a bill, that it might be a bill collector, that, um, that if you answer these correspondences, you're going to have to owe money or answer for your debt somehow. A big sign of financial trauma is isolation from relationships Mm -hmm. because sometimes relationships cost money, hanging out with friends, driving to a friend's house, all of these things. um, We tend to isolate sometimes. Um, And I know when I first started my debt-free journey, I was cutting everybody off, every eckies everywhere. I was hanging out with anybody and I was, it was a um, overcorrection in the sense that yeah. I was like, well, I'm not going to hang out with anybody. And if, you know, they want to reach me, they can yeah. come to my house. And I made it a lot harder to build healthy or to keep a healthier relationship without fully explaining why I was doing this. And then when people chose to rightfully so be like, okay, girl, I'll see you when I mm-hmm. see you. I was all up in my feelings because I chose to isolate myself, right? Anyway, um, so that's that's a sign, you know, that's a sign of financial trauma, (laughs) overcorrecting and then isolating everybody because you're trying to, you're in fight or flight mode, trying to, or not fight or fight mode, survival mode, trying to scrounge and save and do everything but you're overcorrecting because you're isolating yourself from um, your friends and your family and essentially your support systems. Okay, those are some few signs of financial trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, how, did you, how do you feel about that, Ayana? Do you feel like these um, track? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, those are all, um, I think it's, it's cool to hear it sort of like laid out in sort of like a list, but thinking as you were sort of going through those, I was just like sort of tagging different clients and different experiences and people I've spoken to that sort of have demonstrated those behaviors. Um, and so one of the ones that I think is super common that I see with people that I work with is that avoidance sort of, um, it's, it's part avoidance. It's like, it's almost like a a pendulum. So like there is the avoidance aspect where, you know, if I don't look at it, then I don't have to deal with the uncomfortable feelings and then I feel better, but then you still have that fear that still rises up when you do get a bill that you don't expect, or you get an email or call, like you said. And so it's almost like an avoidance fear cycle that you just sort of keep going around and around. So because you're afraid yeah. you avoid more and then you you're avoiding. So then you have fear when something else pops up. So it's, there's that cycle that, um, that keeps on happening. And then another one that was really big, I was actually taking notes while you were reading those off was um, the whole, um, this idea of, let's see how I put this. A particular client that I work with was really interesting because they were dealing with this idea that 
having wealth or building wealth would lead to corruption somehow, that their their wow. character would be corrupted. And so because of that, that translated to this person um, either not seeking new job opportunities because subconsciously they were afraid of earning more money or they would um, go in the complete opposite direction. And instead of enjoying the money that they work hard to earn, they would save everything and not want to spend any of it. And then there was also another side. Um, sorry, go ahead. You want to say something? <laughs> No, no, I'm just um, like, I'm yeah. like, okay, yes, like, okay. Um, yeah, so I'm then in church right now. <laughs> those two, the two sides of that, that pendulum were like, you're either overspending because you are afraid of keeping money and having any level of wealth because you think it's going to change who you are fundamentally, fundamentally as a person, or you, um, you, what did I just say? You either spend all of your money or you save all your money basically because you don't want to enjoy the money or like feel like you are receiving the fruits of your labor and I was like yeah. when this person told me that I was like that I don't because I should say that like psychology I took AP psychology when I was in high school so that was one of my favorite classes and so I I think it's really fun and interesting to learn to sort of dig into people's psyches and sort of help them investigate on their own how these different traumas and experiences are now actually playing out in their daily lives in ways that they don't even realize um, I love that. And yeah. you know, when I suggested to this person, I was like, "Whoa, what do you what do you think this means, or how do you feel about this, or how, can you see how this relates to that?" It was one of those sort of like light bulb moments, and that this client has gone on to have like from from that that was the very first call that we had together. From that very first call, it was like a complete one eighty, just because they were able to recognize you know the traumas and how it was playing out in their life, and then for me to be able to offer them a different th- way of thinking and you know, say, you know what, you're actually in a position of power, you have the driver's seat, you're in control. What if we did it this way instead? All it takes is that, that little, I mean, it's, it's an ongoing process. It doesn't happen overnight, but it can, you can have such huge wins just by presenting your mind with something else to believe and helping yourself recognize the traumas and experiences that you have had and how they've sort of either held you back or, you know, cause you to believe things that aren't necessarily true. Um, so yeah, yeah, going back to, um, what you said about the overcorrection thing too, I think was really interesting because I think with anything that you do in life, but especially with your money, whether you're making a budget or anything else, I think so much of it, it, it comes back to this desire or this strong need for balance. And I think overcorrection is really dangerous. It's almost um, just as dangerous as just not doing, not following any rules or having any boundaries. If you overcorrect, yeah. Then you're setting restrictions and you feel boxed in. And so I think when you're in a situation like that, you're more likely to then go on like spending binges or like, you know, almost overdo it because you feel like you've been restricted for so long and you've had so many boundaries that then you sort of go in the complete opposite direction. And so I think the common thing here is like the swinging pendulum of like the different ways that you can sort of like go between the two different extremes and just needing to find that middle ground that's going to um, sort of keep you centered and keep you on the right track as opposed to sort of veering off course in either direction. That is so, so real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're, as you were talking, I'm like having a moment where I'm just like, damn, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm such a Libra. Like I am like, whoo, I swing, uh-huh. you know, and I'm like, oh, I didn't, like I'm realizing how much of that extends into my money Mm -hmm. and like even when like that is 
that is my struggle is finding that balance and it's like not overcorrecting, not being too stingy mm-hmm. and then not having too many treat yourself moments yeah, where exactly. like all of a sudden you're spending like a thousand dollars on like who, am I? who do I think I am anyway <laughs> like, like yeah right and then it's and then it's and then it goes back to who do you think you are yeah, exactly. you are the granddaughter of blah 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 you deserve this you worked hard and uh-huh. your ancestors wildest dreams but <laughs> but then girl really it's, it's yeah. a very very pendulum swinging moment and it's just like yeah that's that's me right there mm-hmm. trying to find that balance for sure yeah I want you to talk about limiting beliefs with money. Mm-hmm. So in our previous podcast, uh, we were talking about how you challenge your clients to examine their limiting beliefs. What have you been finding in your professional opinion? Um, <laughs> what have you been finding are common limiting beliefs? Because I find that sometimes we, the you know, the grand we, the universal we, minimize our feelings mm-hmm. and think that we might be over-exaggerating, especially when it comes to money, because I feel like we're all, or, you know, sometimes we're pretending with money, so everybody is putting, you know, their best foot forward and all yeah. that stuff. The highlight reel. <laughs> yes, perfect. Yes, the highlight reel. So we're not being honest with ourselves with our limiting beliefs because we tend to minimize those feelings because we're trying to, uh, I hate the term keeping up with the Joneses because I'm literally the Joneses. You are a Jonesy. But, but <laughs> I'm just, but, <laughs> Very you, common yeah. last name. Right? <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> um, you know, so what are, what have you been finding are, lim- are the common limiting beliefs that we tend to have with money? Yeah, before I dive into the common ones that I see, I would like to offer also a definition because I think it's important to sort of make sure we're all speaking the same language. So I just pulled up the definition that I always share with my clients and we sort of dive into this topic together. So the definition that I really sort of uh, resonate with is limiting beliefs are thoughts and opinions that one believes to be the absolute absolute truth, and they tend to have a negative impact on one's life by stopping them from moving forward and growing on a personal or professional level. Um, And so when thinking about um, limiting beliefs that I tend to see, I think going back to what I said before, the whole idea that in some way wealth or building wealth or having money will make you a bad person or it will change who you are um, at your core. I think um, there's limiting beliefs around not being able to have everything that you want, like not being able to have fun, but still be responsible with your money. I think, uh, especially as millennials, we tend to think that it's, you know, one way or the other, it's like either I'm saving every penny that I, that I own or that I earn and then maybe I'll be able to retire or, you know what, I'll never retire. And so I'm going to live for today and, um, and just spend whatever I want and not care about it. So I think, that, whole, like, that pendulum yeah, swinging, yeah, pendulum swing right there. Yeah, um, I think uh, some people deal with. Um, I think you touch on it. You mentioned it briefly. This idea of worthiness, like feeling like we're not worthy of earning wealth. Because I know I already touched on the wealth, and I, I don't want it to seem like I'm all into wealth, but I do think that it's such it's one that keeps coming up and keeps replaying in my head because I think that just the word wealth in a way, I think we've sort of come to a place where we reserve, like we have a picture in our brains collectively of what mm-hmm. wealth looks like. It's typically, you know, the the stockbroker, older white man, that's the wealthy person. That can never be me. Um, 
yeah. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's a common belief. Um, and I, I think those are the two that really stand out the most to me. Like there, there's a whole gamut of them, but I think those two are probably the ones that I see most often and that we sort of dive into. I, and I want to, I want to like talk about that. I was going to talk about that a little bit later on, but I can just like touch on this right now. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea of being worthy to build wealth, being worthy, being worthy of, having money um, and being afraid of that, I think it's important to like, one, just like you're saying, recognize our, um, you know, that why do we have that feeling that money is bad and money will change us at the core or turn us evil. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to examine, examine, examine that. Yeah. Um, I, was, I wanted to say ruminate on it and mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I like, I'm I'm going to keep it examining and making it a thing. Great. Um, so I think it's important to, to do that, but also I think it's really important to like come to terms with the fact that wealth gives us options. Yes, exactly. Becoming financially healthy, uh, becoming financially literate will allow you to have options Mm -hmm. and these are the options that are bad or good Mm -hmm. and that's where you can decide how your money works Mm -hmm. and what you're going to do with your money and the ripple effect that your money can create like um true oh my god this is going to sound so dumb but like really like four days ago I realized that I am not the Beyonce in my family tree. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not the Beyonce. Yeah. Um, I thought I was, <clears throat> um, but I'm not. And that's okay. I realized that I am like the Tina. Okay. Like I didn't come from nothing, mm-hmm. right? Like Tina didn't, Tina wasn't like dirt poor. Her, you know, she, her her previous ancestor struggles, but Tina came from something, yeah. you know, and then Tina built it. Then she gave the fruit to Beyonce. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously Solanda's there too. And yeah. I think there's another one. I'm not too sure, but listen, it's <laughs> really Beyonce and Solanda. Right? <laughs> Wouldn't that suck if there's like another? Thing oh like my God. Another? Can you imagine? <laughs> like, uh, I'd love to sit into that therapy session. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I'm realizing that like, oh, I'm not going to be the one to, um, like be the Beyonce in my family essentially. Mm -hmm. But if I change my relationship with my money, like if I rechange my relationship with my money and I build this foundation, then I have the opportunity to, if I choose to have a kid, I don't know yet. Well, that's a whole nother podcast episode. Mm -hmm. Um, my offspring could be a Beyonce. Yeah. If I adopt whatever, if I sponsor a child from the neighborhood, a la, you know, I don't know, all all these wonderful movies where people adopt children and they like go on to like change the world, you know? So I say all that to say that understanding and coming to terms with wealth building and Mm -hmm. realizing 
that it's not just about building the numbers in your bank account so you can save up and like, you know, die a comfortable death or whatever. It's also about giving your life that you have right now, giving yourself options and therefore giving, you know, you, your generations behind you and your, and um, your ancestors options Mm -hmm. and your community options. Um, it, that's like, that was such a big thing for me to like, realize like, oh, it's, if I get right with my money, it's not just about me. It's about like, it's about, yeah, of course what I can do, but then what I can do can literally change the world or change the world for a few people. And that's really fucking badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to add something to that too. I just made a note of it. Yeah. While we were I know I keep saying that, but I just want to make sure I'm not forgetting any of this. So two things to note, um, right in the same sort of vein of what you were saying. I want to go back yeah. to this idea of um, you touched on people believing that money is the root of all evil or whatever like that. Um, so one thing I think it's, I always, I have this conviction where I have to tell people it's like, so many people have that saying ingrained in their head and that's not even the correct saying. <laughs> it's not money uh-huh. itself is the root of all evil. It's the love of money is the root of all evil. And so I think what that phrase is actually saying is that when you, when money is your sole pursuit, like, and you love it and it r- runs your life, that's where it can breed evil. Cause I, I truly believe, and it's been, it's, I'm not the only person that believes this, but it's, you know, in books and things like that, money itself is amoral. Money is neither yes, good nor evil. I agree. It can be used agree, for agree, good agree. or evil. And so the other thing to sort of note is that when it comes to this idea of wealth, I truly believe that wealth simply amplifies the, the person that you truly are at your core. And so if you are a good, generous person, having more wealth isn't going to make you suddenly a bad person or a corrupt person. I think that if you um, build wealth, then you're likely to become more generous because you have like you said, options, resources, that's really what wealth provides to you. And so I think it's when it comes to like your personal character, there shouldn't be this fear of growing wealth and having it change you unless you know something about yourself and you're afraid of <laughs> what you might like what you might be unleashing to the world if you do build wealth. Yeah. So yeah, I just yeah. wanted to really iterate or sort of highlight those two things. Money is not evil. The love of money can lead to evil. And also building wealth just amplifies your true self. Yeah, beautifully said. Okay, all right. So let's um, move into just some general recovery tips that um, I have. First things first, stop avoiding. Avoiding problems don't actually solve them. Um, It's (laughs) a big, big pill to swallow, but it's true. Um, Mm -hmm. And truthfully the point of um recovery and the point of examining your financial health is not to remove the triggers um you want to check your credit uh like your your credit score you want to check your bank account balance um, Mm -hmm. and your savings account balance um what you don't want to have are the the negative, toxic, anxious feelings associated with them. Mm-hmm. So avoiding your issues only enforces the fear of them. Mm-hmm. And so fear is is just like fear is something that thrives in the unknown. So put, shedding light to the scary talking about the uncomfortable things, very much like the premise of this podcast. 
makes things a little bit less scarier, takes the fear out of it. I think both fear and anxiety sort of thrive in the unknown. And those two are so related. And so many people have money anxiety. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so the next one, um, labeling feelings. So, um, you know, really talking about, okay, I am anxious because of X, Y, and Z. I fear this. Um, And and just labeling how you feel and recognizing what's going on can be helpful. Um, For me, I journal. And when I don't have like, then there's no pen and paper around. Mm -hmm. I take my phone and I I make a voice memo. Mm -hmm. And I'll just sit there and I just talk. To, like I talk into my phone and it is it's just like journaling yep. um, I find it actually more therapeutic and easier than writing because I'm not worried about my penmanship I'm not worried about like <laughs> it being legible later I can just blah you know yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's helpful. Another one, another tip is obviously we're going to talk about this a little bit more towards the end, but work to reduce your debt and plan for the future. Mm-hmm. I know it seems so simple, but it's a lot. But simply being aware of what you owe and having a plan to repay it can restore a sense of control because a lot of us feel out of control because it's the amount of debt that we have. We don't know how to how to control it or get mm-hmm. it under control. So just making a plan can be helpful. For me, creating a savings account and, and putting a little bit of money away, holy crap, that let me sleep at night. Literally let me sleep at night. Yeah. And it was and it was like when we just started putting a hundred bucks in that savings account, I started sleeping better. Mm-hmm. Would a hundred at that point would a hundred dollars do anything if we had a, a huge issue? Thank God that didn't happen. No, but just knowing that I was making a plan was helping me feel better physically and emotionally so that was really big um and I do want to preface that when we are traumatized we are in survival mode Mm -hmm. so that for me that not sleeping that was my um that was my body telling me something was wrong hey girl don't sleep something's wrong wake the fuck up wake up literally Mm -hmm. So um, we're in survival mode. And when that happens, we have trouble thinking beyond the immediate circumstances. Um, so planning for the future, like I said before, helps prevent those feelings and helps reassure us that if anything should happen, we're going to make it through because we were prepared. Second to last, I want to suggest talking to a professional, <laughs> talking to a Mental health professional can be important, especially if you're struggling with deeply, deeply rooted financial traumas. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, yes, we, you know what they are, listeners. Depression, yeah. if you are struggling with suicide, which is a big thing um, for people that have financial traumas. Because sometimes it just seems like it's just gonna, it's too much, and you're never gonna get out of it. And mm-hmm. that's the thing that happens. Um, so talk to a professional before it feels like it's becoming too much reach out to financial educators there are podcasts like this one um ayana is here for you (laughs) she wants to help you win with money yes yeah finance educators are really important and um they're really helpful especially if you feel like you know i've got some i've got some stuff with money but it's not like that bad that i need to talk to like a therapist or, or something like that and and that's well and good too if you feel like you need to um and if you feel like you need both 
a licensed professional to help with your financial trauma, and then a financial educator or a money coach to help you implement the plan, that is good too. Mm -hmm. Ask for help, you guys. Ask for help. So moving to the last tip, speaking of asking for help, talking to a friend. So I want to circle back and say thank you, Ayana, for being a available person to talk to about money, to be so approachable, mm-hmm. because that support, that social support really does a lot to help with the stress, the stress and the um, reactivity that financial traumas can have. Like it, it really does help. And also being open about your fears and discussing them and, and talking with other people and having them remind you that you are not alone can help you so much, can help you stick to your plans, can help you just having people rally around you. And they're not even giving you money. It's not even that. It's saying, I hear you. I understand what you're going through. Mm -hmm. This is some shit that we have or I have going on as well. So you aren't struggling with money alone. I have my own burdens too. That helps remove this crazy stigma that we have about talking about money with our, with our community. Um, Talking with people is so important. So yeah, Mm -hmm. thank you for, again, for being so available. Of course. To this. Um, So all of those are recovery tips that I do want to read my disclaimer that I have Mm -hmm. for everything that there is no one way to define what it means to be financially healthy because that will look different for everyone. Your financial health is personal because it's, well, your money. (laughs) I don't know how else to say that. So it will look different for everybody. What feels good and and how to manage my money in a way that feels good and effective for me may look different than what it looks like for Ayana. And that is okay. That's not saying that she's wrong or I'm wrong or anybody's wrong. It's just going to be different for everybody. But even though being financially healthy looks different for everybody, recovering from financial traumas across the board involves regaining a healthy relationship with money. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like I really messed that disclaimer up, but I hope that was succinct enough. So this is going to segue us into our last topic. I want to talk about examining our relationship with money and how that relationship can inform our money-making decisions. Mm -hmm. So um, we talked about money-making decisions um, or some money-making decisions that can happen during financial traumas. Um, But, excuse me, I want to um, dive a little bit deeper into that even outside of financial traumas. So Ayana, how do you, as a money coach, how do you approach getting your clients to examine their relationship with money without like, you know, going like, hey, get back. How do you lovingly <laughs> approach that with your clients? There are a number of sort of activities and sort of exercises that I offer my clients as homework before we even get started together. And I think that 
really having that period of self-examination, being able to self-assess, because the last thing that I want to do is to come in and like make assumptions and be like, oh, from my limited perspective, this is what I'm observing. And so it's obvious that when you were six years old, your dad left and that's why you spend all your money all the time. That's not what I'm going to do. And so some of the things that I do with my clients is I love sending a coaching questionnaire where they can, you know, type in their answers and then I'll review it prior and sort of see what I can gather from what they say in their own words about what it might mean when it comes to like their money traumas and just the current situation or state of their finances. So, you know, thought provoking um, sort of probing coaching questions is baseline number one. The other activity that we do is I have my clients actually write what I call a dear money letter. And basically, so think of it in terms of like, if you were if you were getting over a breakup and you didn't have closure and you still have all these feelings bottled up inside, you would write some, you would maybe write a letter and maybe not give it to the person, but it's just a means of kind of like what you were saying before, where you journal or you talk to your, in your phone, it's just a means of getting those, um, those thoughts and those feelings out. And that information that you can gain from that activity is so revealing. I've actually had clients tell me that they've cried while they were writing their letters just because they didn't realize how deeply rooted their money traumas were. So yeah. I really, um, I don't like to, again, it's one of those things where I let them answer on their own and write on their own. I don't ever want to guide their answers, but I do offer some sort of like writing prompts that I think at least get them sort of thinking in the vein. And so some of those prompts include, um, I'm thankful for, I wish I knew more about, I'm sorry that, Right now you make me feel, and this is all like speaking to money directly. And so when they're writing this letter, they're thinking in in terms of like speaking to their money. And so I have them use those writing prompts as a means to really, like I just said, just get all their feelings out about money. And then on our first call together, that's one of the things that we do review where we we look at those coaching questions. We look at the dear money letter and I highlight things that I think are interesting. And I say, you know, what? this was interesting to me. Why, why don't you talk to me a little bit more about that? And then we'll just dive in a little bit deeper. Um, and then the very last thing, you know, yeah. one of the main money mindset exercises that we do is we, we have, you know, we identify limiting beliefs. So I basically ask the client, what are some of the potentially limiting beliefs that you hold that might either block your success in this coaching program or just with your finances in general. And many times it's difficult for clients to sort of identify those things for themselves just because they either are unaware of limiting beliefs and what they are, or they're unaware of how their limiting beliefs, like what their actual actual limiting beliefs are. And so then that's another opportunity where we can dive a little bit deeper and I can give examples. Going back to like having a friend and being personable, that's always my number one thing too, because um, I'm not one of those people that's going to be like, you know what, I have it all figured out. And that's why you're paying me money for me to coach you. I can basically say, you know what, these are some of the limiting beliefs that I either have struggled with in the past that I'm still working through now. So by being vulnerable with my clients and sharing some of the limiting beliefs that I have, I can better relate to them and have them see, you know, maybe potentially how, some of the things that I might deal with are things that they've also dealt with or can spark or sort of reveal to them um, different beliefs that they're dealing with. And so from there, and this is sort of a long-winded answer, but from there, after we've identified those limiting beliefs, we then write money affirmations to help them begin to turn around 
those subconscious thoughts and turn them into something positive. Yeah. So um, it's all, I know I keep saying it's fun because it is so fun to me just to witness a transformation and it's super rewarding and I'm so glad that I get to do it. But it's amazing how just from that, those three simple activities just really sets the path and the tone for the time that we spend together um, working on improving their finances. Yeah. Exploratory questions mm-hmm. are so life-changing. Yes. Yeah. And um, speaking from a personal perspective, that's um, kind of how I got to the point where I was examining my relationship with money and realizing like, oh, this limiting belief that I have is actually caused by my relationship with money. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, uh, my husband and I had like a come to Jesus moment, just this opportunity came up and I just didn't feel like we could afford mm-hmm. it, which is crazy because like, who turns down opportunities, like job opportunities and things like that, you know, life opportunities, because it's like, oh, you know, oh, there's this really great job across the country, but I don't think that we could afford it because to move, it's going to be blah, 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 blah. And then to do that and then to relocate and yada, yada, yada. So like realizing like, oh, I have this thing with money that is actually preventing me from saying yes to life opportunities and I did not realize it was it's because of this like oh girl you you are messed up about money and you think that x y and z so when this opportunity prevent or came up that could actually help you break out Mm of the issue that you have or felt that you have you felt like you were you weren't ready unworthy to receive it blah 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 and I was just like oh dang Mm -hmm. oh dang I thought I thought I was okay with this I thought I wanted success I thought I wanted um to be wealthy but because of my limiting belief and because I didn't examine my relationship with money the way that I attained that wealth was so Mm narrow-minded um so I I would say no to opportunities and it's just so freaking wild that um it it just started with an exploratory Mm -hmm. question I'd love to also add because we were talking about affirmations and what you just said about how something like that like a a limited sort of worldview can stop you from reaching your full potential um I think that's something Mm -hmm. that so many people can relate to especially when it comes to job opportunities or income earning opportunities and so I really want to share two affirmations that I have either shared with clients or that I even say for myself that have really um, helped. Help to go ahead and grab a pen. Okay, so (laughs) the first one is my earning potential is limitless because I really think that so many people like they're in a certain job and they'll be like, okay, well, this profession typically only makes this much money. And so that's what I can expect to top out at. And I'm fine with that. And that's just going to be my life. Um, But I think that really... Uh, you know, giving yourself something. Or they don't choose a profession because it doesn't earn enough typically. So they go to something Mm -hmm. else. And they're unhappy with that profession because it doesn't align. That is going to be on a (laughs) t-shirt. I I will give you royalties. Don't worry, but I'm just letting you know. I'm stealing it and I'm putting on a t-shirt. Okay, cool. Cool, Uh, Okay, so yeah, my earning potential is limitless. And then the other one is, And this is really good for business owners in particular. Like I say this one for myself, but um, 
money flows to me freely in unexpected ways. So really just opening yourself up to receive money in ways that you never even imagined that you would receive it before. Um, for example, with me, like I, you know, the bulk of my revenue and my business comes from coaching. But recently, within the last two months, I've been getting opportunities to speak. And that's just been another income stream that has opened up for me that I never expected to happen in such a short amount of time. So really just being yeah. open to like receiving money and not having such a narrow view of your earning potential and ways that you can receive money just completely changes the way you think about it and things like that. So I am sticking this on my mirror <laughs> in my bathroom because that is exactly like truly the, and also the pandemic has, have, has had me um, like really face a lot of limiting beliefs on how I'm making my money and how this business is supposed to mm -hmm. run like I don't I don't this this business what I'm doing isn't like set in stone yeah. like nothing is set in stone you know what I I'm gonna plug um my very a, a very good friend of mine Rachel Rachel Hill um she's a travel blogger she's like super famous mm -hmm. actually it's kind of crazy <laughs> um her Instagram handle is Rachel Travels hey Rachel I love you okay um <laughs> She's super, yeah, she's super cool. She's like in like, I don't know, Mexico somewhere right now. She's one of those friends that like, I will text, I'll be like, hey, like I've got a couple days coming up. Are you like, you know, free next week? She'll be like, girl, I'm in like Israel. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit, okay. <laughs> I have so missed you. That's so cool. Um, but she, she recently shared, I don't know who it was from, but she shared this meme that was like, it literally said the rules are arbitrary. Do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's like a hard thing to come to terms with. But if you can write that affirmation and get it in your psyche and in your subconscious and because yes. that that impacts yes. the way that you move and like the different decisions that you make. That's the thing that's most important. It's not that yes. it has to be true yes. right now. It's that you are beginning to believe that. And because of that, you are then reacting in different ways and you're doing different things and you're trying new opportunities and you're saying yes to different things. That's what it really is about. Yes, 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 yes. And, and yes, saying yes to different opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, have you ever read um, Shonda Rhimes' Year of Yes? No, but it's been on my list for a while. I have my, my book reading list is so backed up. Like it's ridiculous. It's like years long probably. <laughs> It's, it's, a, keep it on the list when you get to it, it'll, it's really good. Yeah. It, cha it is, it is a challenge. Like it challenges you to examine why you're like our first instinct is to say no. And what I love about it is that it kind of piggybacks, it goes hand in hand with that idea of reparenting yourself and you have a protective, you know, inner voice mm -hmm. and an inner child that stays with you as an adult that is just reacting to traumas from childhood, yeah. but it's doing that to keep you safe. And so you are out here saying no to, uh, you know, it could be financial opportunities, it could be relationships, it could be adventures, friendships, whatever, um, because you're just trying to protect that um, inner child. You're trying to protect yourself. It's a really, it's a really great option. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so I want to talk about possible money-making decisions and how not examining our relationship with our money can affect your life. So what happens when we don't examine our relationship with money? 
we can find that we can become either frivolous or stingy with money that you actually, you mentioned that earlier, Mm -hmm. you find that you're either, you know, spending it, you, maybe nobody taught you the importance of money. Um, Nobody gave it a significance. And so Mm -hmm. you're frivolously spending it because who the hell cares? $500 could be $100, could be $50, numbers is numbers, it doesn't matter. Or the complete opposite, you can be super stingy with your money and you're not going anywhere, you're not giving anybody a dime, you're not donating, you're not tithing, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's the thing. Another money-making decision of an unexamined lifestyle is that you are less willing to take risks with your money. You're less willing to save. You're less willing to invest. Um, Because if you don't understand how it works or you're not confident that you can save more money, then it's just like, what is saving? Let's just spend it right now. I need it right now. Yeah, why not? Right, right. So there's that. Or like Ayana said previously, you're afraid of making more money. Mm -hmm. Maybe you feel some type of way about what wealth actually means and how wealth can affect your life. Another thing that happens, and I can speak from this personally, with an unexamined financial relationship, you are less willing to take care of yourself. Or when you do, it can be accompanied by shame and guilt mm-hmm. and sometimes self-judgment. Yeah. So self-care was something that I definitely had to reparent myself on as an adult. And I did not realize how much of that was tied to my trauma with money. So learning how you relate to money and learning how you deal with money can also inform um, how you take care of yourself or why you don't take care Mm -hmm. of yourself. It can also lead you to be in denial about the needs of your future. Um, I don't know what's going to happen when I get old. I'm just not going to save for the future. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Whatever. I could die tomorrow. I could... I could go out in the street and get hit by a car. Like, chances are that's not going to happen. So figure it out right there. (laughs) Um, On the opposite of that, it can lead you to be in denial about your current emotional needs, being in survival mode, and constantly living with the minimum. And again, that is something that I struggled with Mm -hmm. when I did get to a point where I felt like I could treat myself. It was very minimal, very minimal. You're going to go to the store. You need clothes. Okay. Buy one pair of jeans instead of, you know, you (laughs) can buy three. It's okay to have three pairs of jeans, but then it'd Mm -hmm. be like, you only have one set of legs, buy one pair of jeans. And then you, it's, it's, (laughs) it's that survival mode that I grew up with that, you know, now in my vintage 25 years, I'm not in (laughs) anymore. (laughs) So, um, those are decisions that people can make um, with their money when they live an unexamined life. Um, are there? How do you how do you feel about that, Ayana? Is there anything you want to add to that? I don't think so. I think you really touched on everything. Like I kept saying, mm-hmm, nodding my head, just because. Again, like I was saying before, like just tagging like things I've seen with my coaching clients to all of those different those different scenarios that you you laid out. So yeah, I think that was a pretty uh, thorough list of it right there. Awesome. Okay, cool. So I want to wrap up by offering general financial tips to improve your financial health. We're not going to get into that. If you want more tips, 
please follow Ayana on Instagram. Find her on her very awesome website. It is like, I, I like I said, I was like shocking your website because I'm like getting my, a new one and I'm oh, yeah. redoing mine. I was like, this is a very nicely laid out website. Um, you can contact her directly through her website and she can help you and coach you and get you to get to a place where you're winning with your money. But here are some of my favorite financial, just financial tips that have been really helpful for me. The first one is starting an emergency fund. Like I said, the second I put something in savings, $50, $100, I slept better at night. If you need to put it in a different savings account, if that needs to happen in your life so you don't touch it, do that. Do whatever you need to do. Another one is start paying your bills on time, y'all. Like I used to wait until the day that it was yeah. due, even when I had the money, because I was just used to the adrenaline. And also there was something about, they can wait for my money. They'll get it when I get it. It was like a power play that only yeah. I was playing. So when I just realized that I'm the consumer and I just need to yeah. let it go, and I just started paying my bills on time and ahead, it was, uh, it was like, I didn't realize that I was being so petty about it. I didn't realize I was being so stingy about my money. Like what that is really what it mm -hmm. came down to because I was in a place of um, um, the opposite of abundance. Scarcity. Thank <laughs> you. I was in a place of scarcity. <laughs> and I felt like I was still in that space even after my financial situation yeah. changed. So I would just be like, Oh, it's due at, you know, October 20th at 5 p.m. Well, I will log on on October 20th at 3.30. They will get my money when they get to it. But then all up, all up until October 30th or 20th until 3.30, I've got yeah. this anxiety of like, you got to pay this bill. You got to pay this bill. You got to pay this bill. And it's like, what kind of drug am I on? This is mm -hmm. so insane. So y'all. That was a big that. one too. I, um, I actually encourage all of my clients to do that too, because when you pay your bills either early or yeah, early, like you said, or not like on the due date, you're actually empowered and better able to enjoy the money that you do have left over because you don't have that nagging in the back of your head. Like, oh, I got to make sure I keep $50 in the account for the, the light bill, you know? Yeah. So then you can actually live your life freely as opposed to like, having to have this money that's like untouchable, but you still can see it. And it's like weird. So yeah, just like you said, pay your bills on time, pay them early. If you can, you, the money is going to leave your account either way. So just why prolong, prolong it if you don't have to yes. do it. <laughs> yes. And, and, and I realized that I was, I was just, um, again, no shade mom. I love you so much. I was just mm -hmm. repeating what I learned. I was just repeating the, the financial literacy that my mom had, that's what I was taught. And so I was just repeating yeah. the same thing. And it was, um, it was very freeing, like you said, empowering when I, when I stopped, when I just stopped that flipping yeah. cycle. Holy crap. Yeah. Um, staying up to date on your credit report it is actually really easy, like super easy. Like they, they almost spam you with emails and text messages. Like if anything happens yeah. to your credit and, or your credit score, and even sometimes when nothing happens, I'll send you two messages a month about, hey, everything's the same. Just so you know, everything's yeah. the same. So um, there are, and I will put them in, a, in the show notes, there are um, websites and credit report um, mm -hmm. tools that you can use. And if um, you have one, Ayana, that you favor, please shout it out. Yeah. That'd be cool. I don't have one that um, I know of, but I will say that I have noticed that a lot of banks are now, it used to be a thing where it was this whole ordeal where you had to go to like 
annualcreditreport.com and then put in information and stuff. But now a lot of banks, it's not a full report, but I use Chase for my personal and business banking. And they actually have it integrated where you can see a breakdown of your credit score and automatically updates like every, I want to say like every two weeks, it gives you an idea like your your score went up this much, your score went up this or went down that much. And it gives you like a breakdown of your credit history and things like that. So oftentimes it's like it's now just being built into the things that you already should be checking um, regularly. So it's a little bit easier on the consumer. Yeah. So listeners, if, um, if your bank offers that option, sign up for it. A lot of times it's free. You don't have to pay for it. So it's kind of great to go along with staying up to date with your credit report and your money, creating a monthly Mm -hmm. budget is super important. Ayana has a whole entire series about creating monthly budgets. And like she mentioned before, money date, right? Date with your money, which is I freaking love. Yeah, they love that. Make it it an event. It doesn't have to be an anxiety field Mm -hmm. event. This, and I know this could be kind of touchy because we're in a pandemic, but begin to pay off your highest interest loans maybe not every loan. I understand that things are tight and, um, you know, everybody is coming from a different, you know, financial journey. Mm -hmm. But if you start to pay off that high interest one first, it can help make you feel a little bit better and help you feel more empowered. And you might just see a faster change Mm -hmm. in your debt. What am I trying to say? You might see the numbers go down Mm -hmm. faster by paying off that high interest one first. And then curbing your spending habit is an obvious one, but I do want to say if there's like one small thing that you can do to first start, we're not talking like, you know, cut off the AC and oh, yeah. sweat everybody out and all that stuff, <laughs> but like <laughs> one simple thing, you know, like if you're paying for Hulu and Netflix, maybe only do exactly. one. Yeah. Like don't be too drastic mm-hmm. about it, you know, don't get on that pendulum, but just start to, start to make smart choices um, with your spending. And then last but most certainly not least, ask for help. Ask for help. Ask for help. And if you're listening to this podcast, you are already wanting to understand more about financial health and wanting to improve your financial literacy. So um, I think you're on the right track if you're listening to the show. For sure. Is there anything you want to add to that, Ayana? Like you are the the expert on on tips. Did I did I do good? How did I, I do? I think you covered pretty much. So I have um, an Instagram post that I've shared in the past and that I like to share occasionally just as a friendly reminder. But um, it really is my four rules of personal finance that I think everyone should follow. And so you touched on most of them. Yes. So I'll just really quickly read mine just to sort of um, piggyback off what you yes. said. So I think one that you should uh, always consider too at a baseline, like this is just like personal finance 101 is spend less than you earn. Don't live above your means. I know it can be difficult, especially yeah. if you have uh, certain you know, um, situations when it comes to your, your income and how much you earn, but always strive to spend less than you earn. That's the simplest thing that you can do to stay on the right track when it comes to your money. Um, number two would be yeah. budget and track your expenses. So not only creating a budget, but actually tracking your spending against it to make sure that you're staying within those sort of guidelines that you set for yourself when you do create a budget that's super important um number three for me is make saving a habit i think that we really need to begin to emphasize the importance of building good savings habits not just saving the habit of saving making it something that's second nature that you can't live without that you just have to do because in the long run it's going to benefit you so much in providing that security um, and providing you with the ability to do those fun things that you want to do so whether it's 
saving an emergency fund or saving a travel fund so you can go on fun trips when you want to, having a treat yourself fund so that you can buy yourself things without guilt because you've been intentional and you've set that money aside for that specific purpose. So saving isn't just one of those things where it's about all the boring stuff like, oh, I need to save money for Mm. my business taxes. I need to save money for um, you know, this other thing. Saving can actually be fun and opens up a lot of opportunity for you. Um, and then number four for my rules of personal finance would be preparing for emergencies. So touching on what you said before, having that security blanket of savings when it comes to emergency situations is integral. It's vital. We've all seen the effects of job loss and um, not having savings, especially if we're time stamping this episode, yeah. we're in the middle of uh, the global pandemic that it still just seems to be there's no end in sight. So having that savings account, not here in America, yeah, not in America okay. at least, yeah. Um, having that emergency savings is super important. So really uh, making sure that's yeah. a personal finance rule that you're following. I, I love that the, the third one too. Like that is, that's so important. Examining your relationship with mm-hmm. saving and how, how you feel about saving. And the word saving can be kind yeah. of like a, bah, bah, yeah. bah. but if you, I like what you said, but if you change the way you think of, of saving and think about a travel saving, something fun, something uh, um, that you want to do, like not just saving to pay off your student yeah, exactly. loan, it's saving to to experience life. That's important mm-hmm. too. Yeah, yeah, I got to think about that mm-hmm. more too, for <laughs> sure. Love that. I love that. Ah, oh, awesome. All right, listeners, I want to wrap this up by talking about why it's so important and reiterating why it's so important to um, check on your relationship with money and why it's important to build wealth and to build savings. I said it before, but simply put, better financial health, improving your financial literacy equals more autonomy in life and more options in life. With more options, your world can truly open up. And when that happens, you have the potential to do things that can change your lives and the lives around you and generations to come, right? You can be a Tina, you can be a Beyonce, blue is set for life, those kids are fine, you know? That can be you. So just like anything else, financial health and improving your financial health requires a lot of work and consistency. It requires the desire to change. And it is hard um, because we are all having, we all have different struggles and our struggles don't look the same. But the good thing is that you don't have to go it alone, listeners. So be empowered in your decision to better understand your financial health and to improve your relationship with money because it will change your life. Your life will only get better if you take charge of your money. You will, like Ayana says on her website, you will win with money. So So where, um, just to follow up, where can people find you? Give them the deets. So I am most active on Instagram, I would say. So if you want to find me on there, my handle is at millennialmoney.guide. My profile picture is a photo of me uh, with a big, bright smile and the green circle behind me. So it's very on brand with money and all that stuff like that. So (laughs) I would love to connect with you there. Um, I share personal finance tips. I share insights into my own personal finance journey, client wins, uh, memes, things like that. So it's a great place to be. Um, and my DMs are always open if you ever have money questions. So feel free to slide in whenever you want to. If you want to learn more about coaching, what I have to offer, all the things, um, find me on Instagram and I would love to see you there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Diana. We'll talk to you next time.
Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Well, that's the show on this warriors. I hope that you enjoyed it. A huge thank you to Ayana one more time for sharing her knowledge and for sharing her time with me. I thoroughly enjoyed putting this series together and Wellness Warriors, I really hope that you got as much from it as I did. If anything, I hope that this series has inspired you to take a real good look at your relationship with your money, not just your financial literacy, but also your financial health. Also, I hope that it's inspired you to have open and honest conversations with your trusted loved ones about your money and your circumstances, especially if you are in a, in a hard spot. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I hope. Listeners, please rate and review this podcast episode on whatever podcast platform you're listening to the show on. It really helps us get higher up in the algorithms and helps other people find this podcast too. So leave your reviews, leave your ratings, leave your hearts, all that good stuff. I truly appreciate every single one of you that has already reviewed, already rated, already shared the podcast on your story or shared it with a friend. I love you, love you, love you. All right, Wellness Warriors. Until the next time we meet, be brave, be light, be well.